0: It's January 18th, 2017, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and startup scene. Of course, I'm Bert Lum, flying solo while co-pilot Ryan Ozawa is off to the Big Apple, testing out his new Snapchat spectacles. Of course, we'll kick off the show with a couple of news guests. Cindy Matsuki from the High Tech Development Corporation is here to tell us about the next Wetware Wednesday. Then Bob Litsky, and he joins us from Booz Allen. He's going to tell us about the second annual Ideas Festival. I'm excited to hear about that. And finally, we'll talk to uh, um, a couple of folks that are very involved with the recent robotics competition called Maritime Robot X. I've invited the key members of the UH Robotics team that uh, participated, Song Choi, and he's the assistant dean over at the uh, College of Engineering and PhD candidate, Brennan Yamamoto. As always, we welcome your comments and questions as part of the conversation. And you can feel free to tweet me and, and of course, call in. But first, I want to welcome Cindy Matsuki, who is a regular on the show here. She's going to join us not only as a news guest, but as a special guest. And, of course, She's here to tell us about the upcoming wetwear Wednesday and the first for twenty seventeen. Welcome to the show, Cindy.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited
0: yeah, really. I mean, uh, I want you to talk a little bit more about some of the other things you do too, as well as uh wet wear. but but first, let's get into um the first wetwear for twenty seventeen and what it you know after after twenty sixteen and then of course the you know the tech job fair and all the excitement around that
2: mhm.
1: Mm -hmm. How do you keep
0: that excitement level going for this wetware coming up (laughs) next week?
1: Well, there's so many people doing so many good things. There's always something interesting to cover. So this month's wetware is sponsored by Ikezo. Mm -hmm. So founder and CEO Dan Luke Mm -hmm. will be there. And he's going to talk about what he's been up to, what the latest their company is up to. And he's also the co-founder of Context, which is their spinoff company.
0: Well, you know, I I um I've known Dan for quite a while and I have a hard time keeping up with all the companies and all the projects that he gets involved in Context is is one of them. I mean, he's also very much involved with something called Design Hui, hmm.
2: which mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Mike King is is kind of spearheading and anyway, so Dan is going to be sort of the feature. Uh, he's going to sponsor the event. What what is it that you are uh, trying to get people to also learn about, hear about.
1: Oh, well, he's the sponsor. So he's going to talk a little bit about what his company's been doing. But the program itself is going to be Purple Maya, And they're going to oh, talk okay. about the Purple Prize, which was their three-month-long sort of hackathon. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what they called it. It was Aloha Aina Challenge. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what they called it. And that was about bringing Hawaii's culture and tech together. Like, how do we use tech to build upon loving the land, mm-hmm. so he's going to kind of go over how that went this past year, and what we can look forward to this coming year.
0: Oh, so so Purple Dan Prize. is actually going to be talking about Purple Prize.
1: No, actually, Donovan Kaloja is going to come oh, okay. in and talk about Purple. Because
0: I know I know Dan was a uh, one of the judges, mm-hmm. and and Donovan, of course, is one of the uh, primary organizers behind Purple Maya. Mm-hmm. Are they going to have any of the teams? Do you think uh, show up? so i hope so i'm I'm always curious about what usually happens uh with a project after the event to mm-hmm. me after event is where the rubber sort of meets the road
1: mm-hmm, to see results yes yes so i'm hoping that donovan if the teams don't come hopefully he can give us an update on where the teams are mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. so that's good that's interesting so uh where is this going to be
1: it's going to be a growler now USA. you always
0: pick these interesting places for wetware <laughs> to it's, take place. Where is this place <laughs> called Growler?
1: So, this is for the local people. You know where Hing used to be. That's where Growler is. <laughs> okay,
0: okay, So for, It's at the
1: bottom of Kapuhulu.
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's difficult to find venues for Wetware Wednesday. I mean, it's a large group. We usually get 80 to 100 people. So the location needs to be able to hold that many people.
0: And what is your, what is your basic criteria for finding these venues? I mean, do, do they have to meet a certain set of, let's say, specifications?
1: Well, they have to be big enough. And we do a program, so it's good if they have AV A sound there. system, yeah. Um, a bar is always good. And usually the places we find are willing to just give us the space for free and we'll just purchase food. Mm-hmm. And Wednesdays is a great night because usually a lot of places aren't so busy Wednesdays, so it's not too bad. But if I'm open to suggestions for venues all the time,
0: now uh, what is it? Do you have a rule of thumb in, in terms of having it at a venue and then not having it there for X number of months? I mean, what's your rule of thumb?
1: No, it's. I mean, I work with the sponsor as well, so if they have a place in mind,
0: okay, so, I work with
1: them for venue.
0: So you could do it.
1: We could do it at the couple same months, place. <laughs>
0: couple <of> months, uh, <laughs> yeah, in a row.
1: But we tend to see that the location as the locations change, the attendees change. Because I guess it's more convenient for certain people to attend at certain places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's kinda nice that when we change places we get different crowds.
0: Oh very good. So so give us the give us the scoops on um, is that Growler it's next week Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, what time does
1: it start? Starts at six o'clock. It runs six to eight. Our program starts at six fifteen, so try and get there by then. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that Growler has a hundred beers on tap, so <laughs> that's <laughs>
0: that, that's a that's a, probably a very high attractive attraction for <laughs> any of the uh, the programmers and developers and tech that's people why in I town. Mentioned it. Yeah. Okay. Very <laughs> good. And of course, that's uh, next week, Wednesday. And then, where would they go in terms of uh, checking that out on the web?
1: You can find it at htdc.org slash wetware. Okay.
0: Well, the other thing I wanted to have you uh, share a little bit about is the uh, Ho'imai blog that you put together. You've been doing that quite uh, regularly, and I I think it uh, is something that that is of interest. It features people that have, I would consider maybe uh, expats, that have left Hawaii and have come back. How long have you been doing uh, the uh, Ho'imai blog?
1: Uh, I think I have five blogs up now, and I try to get one out every month.
0: so you are trying to meet a monthly schedule
1: mm mm-hmm. yes that's the only way I can stay on track <laughs> and and
0: um where do you find these people how do you How do you track these expats down?
1: Um it's just from my network. I ask people if they know anyone that has a good story about how they came back to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And it's always great to find people that have left. A lot of times they leave for college, and they don't come back, and they get work experience. And then there's reasons that they do come back to Hawaii. And I want to know how they did it and how they made it work.
0: Are these people in any particular uh, vocation, or are, they, are you focusing on the, the tech arena? or I'm
1: focusing on the tech mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. So any kind of tech field that they've come back in, or even startups. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs that have come back and are trying to start a business in Hawaii.
0: So the, uh, the last one that you did uh, this is a couple that actually left and they had a, I guess, an opportunity to move back to Hawaii. They both mm-hmm. I think they both work for Cisco, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of cool when, when you have the opportunity to work for a fairly uh, well-known company uh, in Hawaii and are able to kind of maintain that uh, regular full-time job mm-hmm. remotely,
1: and work from home and have a flexible schedule. It's awesome. And they built a reputation at their company while they were there in person well enough so that they moved around within the company and Mm -hmm. got promoted remotely, which is amazing.
0: That's interesting because, you know, for one position or for, you know, for a couple of positions to be done remotely, it, it sort of has to fit that culture of that group and to actually get promoted into another group that also... Accommodates the remote uh, work environment mm-hmm. is is uh, pretty unique, mm-hmm. I would think. Mm-hmm. So so in in terms of uh, doing you know doing the um, uh, blog post, what are you trying to convey? Are you trying to get a particular message out to people?
1: So what got me started was I started down the rabbit hole that <laughs> Civil Beat has for living Hawaii which was just story after story about people leaving Hawaii because it was so expensive and it was so hard to make it work. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of people that it, they're, they're making it work. And so I wanted to get those stories about people that do come back and they make it work. And Hawaii is a good place to be. Um, no, so very- that's, that's why I wanted to capture that and actually try and build a roadmap for other people that are interested in coming back as well.
0: Cool. So what's the, uh, what's the uh, URL for this uh, blog post or this blog?
1: It's hoimai.wordpress.com.
0: Okay, very good. We'll put that up on the show notes. Thanks, Cindy, for joining us. You'll stick around and be my special guest when we talk about X. Uh, but next up, <coughs> we want to welcome Bob Litsky, who is from Booz Allen, and he's here to tell us about this sort of secret idea festival which i just found out about well i found out about it last year after it was all over and that was the first annual ideas festival uh and but he's here to tell us about the second annual ideas festival which is actually a little bit more open to <laughs> you know us as a community bob welcome to the show
2: thank you very much it's great to be here great um yeah it's uh, it's certainly not meant to be a secret so <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy to be here and talk about it but uh you know, the, the way this started is um, we did the first one last year, but our firm has been doing this for, I think, four or five years now. Um, in Hawaii? At, no, yeah. not in Hawaii. Okay. So first time ever in Hawaii last year for us. Uh-huh. But firm-wide, we've been doing it for a few years. We applied last year. It's a kind of an internal competition to get the funding to do it, uh, to host the event. And um, through that, we were able to get it. But the interesting thing is it was designed within in, in Booz Allen to be an internal-only event. Just bring our employees out, play employee engagement, get them excited, mm-hmm. do some ideation around some some topics that are important to the firm. And we said, if we're going to do this, let's let's expand it. Let's bring in some others from the community. So last year we engaged some of our government clients. We had nonprofits, startups. We had a big uh, participation from UH, had a bunch of students come out and give pitches. So it, that really worked frankly, we actually got a little pushback internally when we said, this is how we want to do it. And he said, well, that's not how we do it. said, well, That's how we want to do it. And, um, and we were able to do it. And now the interesting thing is this year we've expanded to 10 cities and everybody's encouraged to do it externally and bring their communities into the event. So oh, we are setting the pace here that's in Hawaii. Yeah.
0: So. So, so give us a sense of the format for this day. And I like the idea because, you know, usually these these, uh, sort of hackathons or or one-day events, they're at some, you know, some place that people kind of hang out, but you actually are going to be doing it over at the Plaza Club. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of run me through the day's agenda.
2: Okay. Yeah, we we did it at UH last year, just had some, you know, conflicts on the dates this time, and so we moved it to the Plaza Club, which I think will be good. It's kind of central location. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, The day, the way it works is we're going to have – open up at 9.15 in the morning, and we have demos. So we have some pretty interesting demos. We have one of our uh, teams coming out from San Antonio who does a lot of virtual reality, immersive learning training. So you'll be able to put on the headset and walk through the inside of an aircraft, things like that, uh, those those kind of demos, and do some um, big data analytics uh, uh, demonstrations, things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, then the, the uh, registration will go on kind of during that same time. We'll kick off with opening remarks at 10 o'clock. And the way the day is basically structured is we have um, some panels going on at the same time, three panels in the morning. Then we have Ignite sessions, which are basically like mini TED Talks. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll have those going for about an hour. Um, Lunch, quick lunch break. And then uh, we have two featured speakers in the afternoon. I'll touch on those in a a moment. And in between, we have one more panel. So that's kind of how it's set up. And our, our panels we're trying to, To make them a little bit different, you know. Everybody, you know, we all go to lots of events where there's, you know, five people sitting behind a table, and you kind of go down the the list. We're we're going to try and mix that up a little bit and and bring some people together that normally don't speak together. So I think one of the things that's unique about our Ideas Festival is we'll have uh, government clients. So we'll have some military people there talking about smart grid technologies and some of the things that the military is doing. We'll talk about. Uh, we have uh, Commander Ogden from uh, Commander, uh, Command Pacific Fleet, who uh, is really leading their innovation for the Navy uh, here on island. And, um, you know, to, to think about it in those terms and then have people like that on the same panel with somebody who's coming out of the startup community or the university or um, even the nonprofit community. Uh, mixing it up like that, we found last year, we were, we were a little nervous going in of how that was going to play out. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. To find the connections across all of those very vastly different uh, communities. But when it came to the ideas that we were focused on, there was so much synergy across uh, sectors that it was really, really powerful.
0: Now, what would you say uh, would be perhaps the objective of the idea fest? So if you have people who perhaps uh, might not normally meet and get a chance to meet at the idea fest and they make a connection, what would you like to see happen as a result of that connection?
2: Yeah, Um, that's a great question. So the whole objective for us is to bring people together to try and take on some pretty important topics for Hawaii and the way we chose them is topics where we feel we can add some value to. But our role is not necessarily to, you know, put a whole bunch of Booz Allen people in a room, bring in a few key people. It's really meant to be let's bring the community together, talk about some of these challenging areas and come up, you know, share ideas and have some dialogue. But also, hopefully, that will create some relationships and networks across these areas that will carry on beyond the event itself. Uh, a great example of that is last year when we, our first time here in Hawaii, we did it with UH. uh we had several students come out and give pitches. We ended up uh, hosting a thing called the Summer Games, an internal Booz Allen internship competition. Mm -hmm. We had six interns from the University of Hawaii. We hired several of them were from the Ideas Festival, Mm -hmm. and they built a really cool uh, virtual reality app for the Pacific Aviation Museum and went back and pitched that in McLean, Virginia, at our headquarters and won the the best systems development uh, presentation. So that all started with Ideas Festival, just interacting with UH and bringing that together and by the way, since then we've we've multiple offers to those those students. So you
0: mentioned you mentioned ignite. What kinds of talks will you uh, have during the ignite
2: sessions? Um, we're we're open. We have some slots open still, but some of the ones that we already have, um, we have one on an augmented reality solution for training, where um, using GIS and augmented reality to supplement uh, teams that are going out and doing exercise and training. For the military. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one is, um, uh, let's see, what was the other one? One of the key ones. um, Oh, Internet of Things around humanitarian assistance disaster response, Mm -hmm. really using the broad network of sensors that are already out there to make much more efficient reporting during natural disasters and things like that. Um, We also are looking at maybe having a couple of uh, those interns that we hired come back, and they also did a thing called their passion pitches, which is a project completely outside of the project we had them working on. And they had some really interesting ones, and we're talking to them about coming back. One was um, using virtual reality for business collaboration uh, and and using that in more of an app form. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's those kind of things. So really really wide open, and we're hoping to get somebody to come out and talk about workforce development, changing culture in an organization to drive transformation mm-hmm. and innovation, uh, well, those, those types of
0: things. So <laughs> and you also mentioned you had a couple of panels scheduled. Uh, what do you have in terms of
2: the topics that these panels will cover? Yeah, so the the um, the overarching theme of Ideas Festival, uh, that firm wide, all the cities is really people, passion, and purpose. Local, so that's the overarching theme. But locally, what we're looking at is grid resilience, renewable energy, analytics. Uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and workforce development. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so we have panels on almost all of those. We don't have that many, but we have uh, a panel on grid resilience and one on renewable energy. There's a lot of overlap there, but there's some very specific tracks that we're going to follow on those. Uh, We have one called um, Transformative Technologies, which is going to take AR and VR solutions and analytics and explore what can we do with those here in Hawaii, to continue to diversify the economy and, and, and make impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final one is is around culture and driving culture, cultural change within organizations to promote innovation and transformation.
0: Now, I'm all, all excited about uh, signing up for this. Now, again, it's on the 28th, which is a Saturday, right? Yep. And that's going to be in, in a couple, not this weekend, but next weekend uh, at the Plaza Club starting
2: at 10. But, Bob, where can people go to sign up? Um, I will I will send you a uh, an event right registration note you can post. Okay. Uh it's very long, so I, I, I can't yeah, possibly no problem. read it right now. I'll but, put it up on the show notes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but if anybody out there is interested in these topics and participating and uh, you know please shoot us a note at uh, IF seventeen Honolulu at bah.com. B A H? Correct. Booze Booz Allen Hamilton. Oh, Booze okay. Allen Hamilton, yep. dot com. Mr. Hamilton always gets left off. He's kind of (laughs) shortchanged.
0: Okay, very good. Well, thanks, Bob, for joining us. All right.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And, of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Song Choi and Brennan Yamamoto, and, of course, our special guest, uh, Cindy Matsuki. We're going to be talking about the Marine Robot X competition. How does this competition differ from other robotics programs like VEX and FIRST? And, of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions about this uh, topic. So give us a call here at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, I am monitoring my Twitter feed, so you can reach me at Bite Marks. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
3: Hi, Ray Cruz here. You know we're all part of some community, whether it's your neighborhood, your sports team, or your island. You're also a part of HBR's community, a community of over 190,000 listeners who tune in every day for the news and music they depend on. We depend on our entire community, too, and are asking each of you to pitch in and do your part at whatever level you're comfortable with. Become a sustaining member today by going online or giving us a call during business
0: hours.
2: Thanks. Union City is a small town in rural Pennsylvania that has changed a lot in recent years. There's just so many things in this town that are now gone. I'm Molly Wood, here from voters counting on the president-elect's campaign promises. Next time on Marketplace from APM.
3: This evening at 6, following BiteMarks Marks Cafe. Support for BiteMarks Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and
0: Urgent Care Hawaii. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And, of course, joining us today are Song Choi and Brennan Yamamoto. Song Choi is the assistant dean of the College of Engineering and a professor and associate director of the Autonomous Systems Laboratory over at the College of Engineering at UH. I I hope that's all correct and still current, Song. Anyway, meanwhile, of course, uh, Brennan Yamamoto, he graduated from, from, I got to get, you know, you got to tell me about this, Managua High School. Is that for real? Okay, I got that off the internet, so it's got to be real. In uh, 2009, of course, received his BS and MS in mechanical engineering over at UH in 2013 and 2015, respectively. He's now working on his PhD and works at the RIP Lab. I love that, you know, the RIP Lab. Renewable Energy, Industrial Automation, Precision Engineering. And he also calls himself a gizmologist. So I'll give you a chance to explain to me what a gizmologist is. And of course, we also have Cindy Matsuki who was just on as our news guest, and she's from the High Tech Development Corporation, and she is going to hang out with us. And she's uh, giving her the opportunity because she used to have this great show on ThinkTech, and she used to get a chance to ask all those questions. And I want you, Cindy, to mm-hmm. exercise that interview muscle of yours on our very esteemed guest that we have here. Of course, Cindy is the Economic Development Specialist over at HTDC, and And, of course, like I said, he used to host this great show on ThinkTech. Of course, what are the challenges of building a marine-based autonomous vehicle? We'd love to hear your comments and questions. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. I want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe.
3: Thank you.
2: You're welcome, sir I'm glad that
3: you could have It's joined. been a while since I've been here, so I know, I don't know you, what you you say. You kind
0: of, yeah, you're, you're a little rusty on, you know, kind of coming up, coming off with a quick answer.
3: It's all the frostbite from uh, coming back from the uh, East Asia. <laughs> oh,
0: I got gotcha. you. You were in Korea for a while? Yes, I was. Lots of things going on in South Korea. Um, so, Brennan, before we jump into the, the, the topic of the day, I want you to explain to me, what is a gizmologist?
4: Well, I can give you the same answer I gave you. Uh 30 minutes ago, but it's <laughs> clearly homologist of giz <laughs> of gizmos um it's it's uh it's it's a two faceted job description actually I, I, I start with researcher and then end with gizmologist and they're kind of two conflicting things uh one is a hobbyist and a guy that likes making things and just tinkering around that's the gizmologist and the mm-hmm. other one is a person that actually has to do science and write about it and document it so yeah, they fight each other. They're yeah. two different things.
0: And then uh, uh, Managua, tell me about Managua that, High School.
4: <laughs> that that was a an undergrad wrote that. I, I know what website you're talking about. It's, it's <laughs> Montano <laughs> High School is, is where I'm from.
0: <laughs> uh, why did you ha- Why did you have an undergrad write your bio? I. Uh, I hope she's not
4: listening, but I emailed this to her. I don't know how that got screwed up because maybe, maybe somehow
0: Loa got uh, spell checked into Managua, and I I looked at. I mean, there is a high school like in Nicaragua or something like that, right? (laughs) Actually, it's a a city in Nicaragua, right? (laughs) Well, you know, it's a city, and it gotta have a, you know, it's gotta have a high school. So I figure, hey, this guy, he's a world, he's a world traveler. So uh, for, I guess, for starters, let's talk a little bit about. You know what exactly is this um, this maritime robot X competition? Maybe, Song, give us a quick overview of what exactly this competition is.
3: Sure. Um. Robot X competition is something that was kind of dreamt up by this group called AUVSI, which is the Association for Unmanned Vehicle Systems International, Mm -hmm. and, of course, one of our own government agencies called ONR, Office of Naval Research. And they wanted to enhance and further along the undergraduate, underwater as well as surface vehicle technologies and understanding. And the best way to do that is to get students engaged and challenged and basically say, where do you go from here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what they do. They give them a base boat, and they say, come up with the scheme that you want with the sensors and control schemes that you want to try and see which one works the best And locating and finding your way through a maze and the maze just happens to be on the, on the water surface that's why these are surface vehicles mm-hmm. they used to have it for also for underwater robotics uh, and used to be held at San Diego all the time and it was trying to get underwater vehicles to go do something similar
1: Is ONR actually trying to find solutions like through this competition?
3: Uh, so if you're investing all that money why do you think they're not? <laughs> um and R, like any other industry or agency, are always looking for solutions. And the good thing about young people being involved in stuff like this, just like Scholastic Robotics, is you're going to find somebody that's going to be that spark, that is that genius that you've never found. Mm. And, you know, I've told Bert, this, Bert and Ryan this before, and it's that when we live in Hawaii, um, I, I look at a complete different terminology than I would have looked at when I was in the mainland going to college and, and going to grad school. It was always you take that diamond in the rough and polish it. I don't look at that in Hawaii. What I've seen in Hawaii is more that we have very exclusive coal. It hasn't pressur- been pressurized yet, so it's not even a diamond, which means if we formulate it right, we get to create the perfect diamond because even if you polish the roughest diamond, it's still going to have its peaks and rallies. But if you can create a diamond in, in the beginning the way you want it, that's where the genius and the uh, future lies. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking at. We have potential uh, geniuses. You know, Brennan's one of them. Yeah, well, he, he's laughing, thinking, but you know, uh, inside he's really happy right now. So, <laughs>
0: Well, it's nice to have the assistant dean speak so highly of uh, you know one of the proteges one of the one of the shining stars over at the UH Brennan. You know, so in terms of I want to get a little bit of your you know the the history that got you involved with this robotics. I mean, I know this is something that perhaps was uh, um, not a long term. Uh, team building exercise this was rather short i mean it was something that was sort of dropped on i think uh in a in a fairly short time frame so give give us a little background on how that actually took place
4: well i mean uh logistically uh a boat arrived on our doorstep back in may and we decided to build something with it Uh, now now
0: describe (laughs) this describe this boat a little bit i mean it's like a two it's like a pontoon right
4: Yeah, it's a double-hulled pontoon is probably the better way to put it. It's Mm -hmm. got a sort of passively stabilized platform, so you can stick all your electronics on it. And, you know, when you have sort of sensitive uh, instrumentation, you have um, inertial measurement units, you know, LiDAR systems, radar. Um, They have to be relatively stable. So that's kind of where the magic of the whammy comes in, Mm -hmm. is it passively stabilizes in sort of this vibration spectrum you'll see of typical waves so it's it is made for the ocean that's where we're moving around mm-hmm. um i i think largely the the competition is great and it's actually um the i view it the same way we view sort of scholastic robotics in the k12 level it's it's a great way to get students involved and interested um, but at the level that you see robotics um it's it's um sort of if you look at the spectrum of teams that um, participate it's it's you have these hugely successful hugely well funded hugely you know extremely high levels of expertise and then you have teams like us that are just coming in and just putting us sort of for you know the eight days that we're together in that same area is actually huge because you know we learned a lot from them, and then they 're using that time actually to develop i mean that that 's why this competition is sort of eight days long as opposed to the usual weekend thing you 'll see in most competitions mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, it was a really, you know, huge learning experience for us as a team um, and a lot for me personally, too.
0: So, so in essence, you know, um, from what I understand, UH only had about six months to work on this. And between, you know, the time the boat dropped uh, in, in Hawaii and actually being somewhat competitive, that's a, that's a relatively tall, tall order. I mean, what did you guys have to do to actually try to get the boat functional?
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make up excuses for, you know, <laughs> but it is a two-year competition cycle. So the first time it happened, last time, and also first time was back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, so the teams that participated then are by the time 2016 rolls around, um, four-year experts. So we started in May of 2016, so we had around six months to work. So um, we knew from the beginning, uh, you know, it's just impossible for us to be competitive at that level. But mm-hmm. um, our our strategy was to pick off. Something that we knew was really reasonable and would demonstrate, and we said this a million times on our team core competency, um, and that's being able to go out and do something really robustly and show teams that you know what, you know we didn't have the full two years and you know we're a rookie team, but you know we're going to show up to competition. We're going to do one thing really well, and be scared of us come twenty eighteen. Right.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice.
1: Was there any benefit for you guys being the home team?
4: Um. Yeah, there there definitely was because we, we actually had the opportunity to test right down at mm-hmm. Sun Island where they had the venue. Now, they do have a pretty fancy set of um, op- course obstacles and um, environmental whatnots that we didn't really have access to. But um, being able to move around in the environment is, is huge. Um, you need to use things like image recognition and sort of uh, uh, the electromagnetic spectrum of that area. Matters as well, so not having to worry about calibrating that sort of stuff out at the start was actually really useful for us
0: you mean uh, you mean there's electromagnetic interference going on in that sand island area
4: yes i mean there's there's electromagnetic interference everywhere uh just wherever you go it 's going to be different, and it 's going to screw around with your electronics so mm-hmm.
0: um, How did the other teams deal with that? I mean, they had to basically come in and, and sort of calibrate their equipment for the particular area that they're competing in?
4: Yeah, and uh, we had one team come down sing- um, from Singapore. They came down a, a week early, uh, so they spent a bunch of money to come down. Um, that's that's basically what they did. And, you know, EMF is one thing. Uh, another big thing in Hawaii is, is the sun. Um, you know, in other countries around the in other places around the world, it's not as bright, and that's um, actually a really big difficulty. Um, mm-hmm. you notice if you look sort of, if you stand on the beach and look, you know, towards the sun, even if it's not shining... At your eyes, but it's reflecting off the water, you actually can't see color, and <laughs> mm-hmm. our eyes have much better dynamic range than you know something even even the best cameras have, so mm-hmm. it's it's a big problem. Um, a lot of times what you have to do is you just have to intelligently orient yourself away from the sun uh, and and we're not at that level at all, but mm-hmm. those are sort of the high level strides you, you have to think about in robotics that you wouldn't intuitively realize until you get out there.
0: Now is the um you, you had mentioned that you know some of these other teams had the benefit of actually building something for a competition in 2014. I mean so who are some of the you mentioned Singapore. I know there's a couple of Florida teams as well and and uh, one from um, um Australia, right?
4: Yeah, there's um it's it's actually a really international competition. There's uh three teams from Australia, Flinders, Queensland and Newcastle. Um all really great teams. Um, Singapore, there's two st- um, two teams from there, Nanyang and then... Um, uh, and
0: I think there was a Korean yeah, US, team too, yeah. right? Yeah.
4: And yes, the Seoul so National University. Um, and there is a Japan team, Osaka University. I think that's all of the international ones. Um, we have a, f- uh, a bunch from the U.S., Embry-Riddle, Florida Atlantic, uh, Georgia Institute of Technology, and University of Florida. And interestingly... Um, Hopefully, there's no MIT people listening. They participated <laughs> in 2014 uh, and dropped out this year, so it was a big internal joke within our team. We we beat <laughs> MIT before they started. So
0: <laughs> great. <laughs> now the the thing that uh, I had observed while attending is that you know there is obviously some some expertise by each of these teams, but the other thing that seemed to be pretty uh, clear was that the the support structure that they all depend on in their respective locales. I think also played a role in, you know, how well they performed because I, I just looking at the boats. I mean, they all had basically sponsor stickers all over their boats, right? So they had these fairly well recognized companies supporting the effort of of their uh, the competition. I mean, and when you have company, well, you have teams coming out of countries like South Korea, and you have, um, let's say, Singapore or, or Australia. I mean, you got some pretty, you know, large sized companies. I mean, Song, what's who's uh, who in Hawaii is going to sponsor our team here at UH?
3: So that's one of the drawbacks that we have living in Hawaii. Um, if you do any type of research, and I know Brennan's very fa- uh, familiar with it now, uh, having finished his master's degree, is uh, finding sponsors is tough. The second one is the parts that we need all have to come by some sort of transportation. So if you need it in a rush, it's got to come by plane. That's going to cost you more than the sensor itself. If it has to come by boat, you're going to waste week, two weeks, waiting for that thing to show up. Mm-hmm. So what we have here is several different challenges that we have to overcome. And one of the things that Brennan mentioned is critical in what you do in Hawaii is planning and it's all long term planning and they have to fall right online for us to meet deadlines okay, so, so it's like why do we not have a larger manufacturing sector in our state and if you think about it that makes it really tough majority of the manufactured items in the mainland are moved around by less expensive transportation mm-hmm. whether it's trucks or trains we don't have that, and that makes it tough. So, so if we're, if we're going to try to win or um, do well at these competitions, it takes a lot of creativity, a lot of innovation, and a lot of planning. So this is the, quote-unquote, the solution of the islands that we're always uh, bottled down with. Mm-hmm. You know, which mm-hmm. makes maybe which which makes us better engineers, because we're thinking three or four steps ahead of everybody else.
0: Uh, Unique challenges, uh, win or lose. Well, you know, I did uh, get to attend the opening session over at the legislature uh, this morning, and uh, you know the 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 leadership uh, always says that there's a need for businesses to get more involved with some of our sort of burgeoning new technology sectors. And uh, I, I, it's good to hear that from some of the legislators. And uh, I think in terms of these other places that have these teams that are pretty pretty well-performed and well-funded, uh, you know, in order for Hawaii to be competitive, I mean, we have to have that same kind of ecosystem supporting our teams. Of
3: course. I mean, you remember the DARPA challenges mm-hmm. where they had mm-hmm. the car and it started originally from going from the... Uh, northeast sector of California to the Nevada sector in the desert roads and uh, and, and this is not a uh, knock on Stanford and this is not a praise for Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> I, I went to Carnegie Mellon, uh, but you know that competition was about creating a mobile land vehicle that could work autonomously, mm-hmm. and it required sensors at the time, which were one hundred and fifty, two hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Which now they can purchase for a couple thousand, maybe ten thousand for the best ones. But at that time, the companies that were sponsoring these projects were General Motors, Ford, Boeing, and the amount of money that they had invested in these projects were not a million, two million, three million dollars. They were astronomical. But the prize for winning that DARPA challenge was only a million dollars. So you got to look at uh, what that means to all, all different people. So, by the way, Stanford took all the people, all the faculty from Carnegie Mellon, and they won. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they hired them all away. Yes, they did. What? Wow.
3: <laughs> A lot of my friends ended up going from Carnegie Mellon to Stanford, so I know.
0: <laughs> so, so Brennan, I mean, you know, the when I looked at these uh, these boats, uh, they they didn't look like they were uh, cheaply configured. What would typically be the kind of you know, let's say budget, you would need to build it to your desire?
4: Uh, I mean, you you really could throw all the money at the world, you know, uh, at these things. Um, you you look at a school like Queensland or so, someone from, you know, a pretty well-off university. They'll be somewhere in the ballpark of $200,000, $300,000. Um, the... Extremely financially privileged University of Hawaii, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> um, can't do nearly that. I mean, our our boat was probably around the ten thousand dollar mark um, in terms of that. That's everything on board. So, I mean, you're talking one sensor from one of these really good schools completely eats our entire budget. So, um, we're up. You know, time. You know, we mentioned already was was a big thing. Though it was a big challenge for us, but money was also a huge challenge as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you know you go here trying to win but you know there's research interest also in you know how do we bring down the cost of robotics and that's cost when i say cost as an engineer i don't just mean money but also how can we develop these things faster how can we develop them more cheaply and how can we develop them more intelligently right what's the what's the cost trade off because if i can get if i can get a $20,000 sensor right which which might be kind of a lot but i can achieve Ninety, eighty, 80 or 90 percent of someone that takes, you know, an entire system that's three hundred thousand dollars. That's huge. Right. I mean, that's that's the sort of development, the technology, technological progress that we need to bring these sorts of technologies down to the consumer level. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a pretty exciting time to be in this sort of field. I'm, I'm, everyone knows about self-driving cars at this point. And they're abusing the exact same technologies, and they're doing the same things we're doing. So, I mean, you say we don't have technology. Maybe not you, but people say, you know, why well, he doesn't do technology. I mean, this this is it. Um, it, it really is um, cutting edge, and it's, it's, it's an honor almost really to be part of this. Um,
0: you know, and- so, Brennan, I also want to ask you a little bit about the the team that you had assembled. And I know there's a lot of you know, great – students that are at UH and, and in terms of, you know, being a, being able to assemble a team in a fairly short time frame. we well, gonna hold that thought. We'll be right back after the short uh, break to continue our conversation with Song Choi and Brennan Yamamoto over, all about the Maritime Robot X competition and how do some of these uh, other robot programs sort of, sort of feed into this program. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. And of course, that number to call is 941 from Oahu or from the neighbor islands You can reach us at 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
3: Hi, this is Jose Fajardo, HPR General Manager. When we asked our members what they wanted from their public radio station, the majority said more news. We soon will be able to bring you just that and more music too. Starting February 14th on HPR 1, you'll enjoy more news, talk, and contemporary sounds. HPR 2 will become your home for classical music. Please find more information about the realignment on our website or call us at 955-8821 during business hours. And thanks.
2: On Friday, Donald Trump becomes the 45th president of the United States. He'll take the oath, and NPR News will be there, carrying his inaugural address live to the nation and also following the parade down Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm Stephen Skeep. Join Audie Cornish and me for all the festivities. Special coverage of Inauguration Day from NPR News.
3: Friday, beginning at 5 a.m., right here
0: on HPR 2. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and, of course, we're talking to Song Choi and Brennan Yamamoto about autonomous vehicles on water. And, of course, uh, Cindy Matsuki is also joining me as our special guest. If you have a comment or question, feel free to give us a call, 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands.
1: So, Brennan, I I saw some of the video from the last challenge. How How did you put your team together?
4: Um, well, we we started, at, uh, one of the big things that we're able to abuse is there's a lot of students actually in the college of engineering, and especially mechanical engineering, that are that are interested in robotics. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We ended up recruiting quite a few of the scholastic robotics students, you know, right out of high school. So there's a lot of people there now, and there's a lot of people on our team that are actually really passionate about robotics. So um, putting the team together actually um, wasn't wasn't all that much of a challenge. Um, it I would say the bigger thing was was getting rid of the people that sort of were there just because they wanted the grade, you know,
0: that uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that dead weight. Mm. Yeah, and
1: <laughs> it's and the management and, challenge. You know, and
4: and I said that kind of negatively, but I mean, uh, a lot of I mean, you're discovering yourself in college, and there's people that you know try different things, and um, all the credit to them for for doing that. But mm-hmm. you know, for for us in the development cycle of six months, it was um, we, we saw people filtering in and out.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Now, uh, you mentioned a little bit about some of the sort of like the feeder into the program, and I know, well, you have RobotX X and the organization they are called Robot Nation or Robo Nation, uh, and they also sponsor a couple of other programs. Uh, I know, Song, you're involved with Mate ROV, but Mate ROV isn't part of the Robo Nation. I know, Sea Perch is yeah. right. So, can, tell us a little bit about Sea Perch.
3: Well, you know, Sea Perch is. Um is a program that ONR as well as AUVSI and back in the day MIT was involved in trying to get students uh, interested in underwater vehicles. So basically it's underwater remotely operated vehicles, what they call ROVs. Uh, it, in a sense, it's very similar to some of our HURL ROVs that are used at our mm-hmm, uh, HURL, yeah. university to do deep sea dives and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for young kids, these are plastic used, you know, plastic pipes using uh, styrofoam as flotation and understanding how the wires need to be sealed so they don't leak and all this other stuff. So it's, it's a basic way of getting them interested in understanding the science and engineering of what water does. Remember, water is water, especially seawater. Mm-hmm has to be one of the worst things to work electronics or engineering in. you got to be careful about the material. Obviously, electricity and water don't get along. And on top of that, salt just makes everything worse. And, and uh, you know, the other thing is when you start doing research that go deep underwater, if you start getting past 300 feet, 350 feet, it's pitch black. Pitch black means, you know, night goggles don't work. Night goggles are an enhancement of whatever – light that exists so you take a cat down that deep it's gonna be just as blind as anything else okay so so these are technical challenges that you have to look at Um, obviously we have bottlenecks within our engineering uh, discipline and these bottlenecks are probably like solutions to cancer if you are able to come up with the solution to have eternal light why would there be a problem or anything or eternal power You know, everything kind of solves itself out, right? So during that interim or the in-between period, that's when our engineering and the innovation that we use comes into play. Uh, The governor's uh, insistence that we go directly to uh, renewable energies like the solar and wind, I think that's a great challenge because in between we have to find solutions until we can get there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I always like nuclear energy, but, you know, it's got its downsides, Right. Uh, I like yeah. dilithium crystals, actually, but
0: <laughs> i I really like the dilithium i think that 's the way to go, but uh, we first first have to find those yeah, well if
3: you do uh, you know <laughs> let me know uh, i 'll invest with you okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> no no brennan i mean you know the uh, I think the great hope is that uh, students like you they they go through the engineering program there 's you know are there opportunities here in Hawaii that you would like to pursue i mean what's what is the future for any of the expertise that's coming out of UH to really stick around as a result of some of these opportunities in robotics. I mean, what is it that you can look forward to in Hawaii?
4: Um, I mean, as a student coming out of robotics, which is, it, we have to realize, and robotics is kind of, for nerds, a really sexy field, um, but uh, it is a very niche field within mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the context of mechanical engineering, and um, it, it, is, it is tough to find jobs specifically in robotics um, but one of the sort of hallmarks of studying robotics is that you end up being sort of a jack-of-all-trades engineer. You understand a lot of stuff in computers. You understand a lot of stuff in electronics. You understand a lot of stuff in mechanics, kinematics, dynamics. Um, so you end up being applicable in in quite a few places. Now, to answer the question directly, there are institutions and places um, on island that, that do do actually high-tech robotics, but um, it, you'd be... To some extent, we're trying to grow those industries. I mean, that's a far cry from a student trying to claim that they're growing an industry. But um, by generating sort of expertise in the students we have, we can grow those industries here. And I think that's sort of the prevailing idea that even our political administration is trying to push.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, now Song, uh, do you have a sense as to perhaps... uh more participation by uh in participation or, or in partnership with the the folks over at Robo Nation i actually got a message uh, from the the AUVSI foundation and you know they're they were asking about perhaps uh building a robotic program at uh and and you know what does it take to actually do that
3: okay so interestingly i came from two schools that had robotics degrees So when I got my uh, bachelor's degree, there was no robotics degree, but now they do it. I went to a school called Worcester Polytech. Mm -hmm. Now they actually have a of science in robotics. And, of course, from there I went to Carnegie Mellon, which actually has a robotics institute. And if you're willing to sacrifice eight years of your time after a master's degree, you can get a doctorate degree in robotics. And it does exactly what Brennan pointed out. It is an interdisciplinary subject. It is electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and a lot of computer science. You have to program to understand how it works, right? And, of course, all the sensors need programming. So, so that integration is the huge advantage that robotics brings. Now, the disadvantage is exactly what Brennan pointed out. It is so specific that there are not many co- uh, companies that are building these robots or researching these robots. Remember, the reason you can afford your iWatches, iPhones, and the cars that you drive at the price that we pay is because majority of these places are automated, and those automated items are using robots, mm-hmm. 24 mm-hmm. hours a day, no sick calls, no insurance claims. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. It's heaven for a manufacturer, right? So, so these type of things are what we are trying to get to. Within our state, I think we are making progress uh, I think our state is a great state to uh, have, like, electric cars. If we can somehow figure out how to store power and then charge our electric cars with that battery power overnight, we might become the state that uses the least amount of gasoline. You know, that would be an interesting uh, 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 title to have after being the most expensive electricity in the states, right? So, so I think that that's what we're trying to drive. And having students like Brennan that are on the forefront of these type of technologies, it comes down to that whole old question, do you want the chicken or the egg first? Mm-hmm. Is it the job that you need or do you need to develop the work first for workforce first? Well, there has to be some sort of a combination with a nice in-between solution where if you have enough synergy, as people say, maybe they'll start generating companies and looking for jobs where they create your own jobs instead of finding a job to go work for somebody else. And hopefully, as all, all other sectors change, uh, Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard, um, they're going to have to automate some parts of it. And as we keep doing that, we will have a higher level of understanding of what we need in terms of technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what, my one fear about uh, all this technology is the replacement of what we would call human workers with artificial or automated workers.
0: Well, you know, we actually had uh, um, Jim Dater on last week and talking about the future of work and uh, artificial intelligence and the, the impact that it might have on the uh, white-collar worker. And, you know, these are all issues that I think we're going to be wrestling, especially over the next 10, 20 years. Maybe less. Maybe less. So so but in terms of uh, you know I guess building our I mean Cindy you get, HtDC is very much involved with nurturing sort of the manufacturing sector mm-hmm. do you see a sort of a matching up of the work that's being done at UH with the potential for manufacturing here in Hawaii
1: I do I mean I think we are supporting the manufacturing industry, and we've seen it growing slowly. Mm-hmm. And I believe those companies are trying to be, build efficiencies into their process. And like you said, robotics is one of the ways to do that. So I think there's definitely room for what UH is producing.
3: I mean, I mean so, you know, one of the hopes that we have is uh, uh, having all these scholastic robotics in the state was not to teach robotics – it's right. to expose the kids to new ideas. Mm. I mean, y- y- you can't think outside the box if you've never been outside the box. <laughs> so whether it's forced or you've got to pick them up and carry them outside the box, something has to be done. And, and I think it's making a difference. I, I believe uh, if you ask Brennan, many of the students that participated in the uh, Marine Robot X may have been part of Uh, Scholastic robotics, uh, math type of uh, competitions, uh, science fair type of competitions where they're trying to get themselves into a different realm of understanding.
0: Well, you know, Brennan, uh, the the next one, and I think this is a good uh, play on your folks' part to make sure that RoboNation has robotics competition here in 2018. So you're working on, I guess— Got the team together. You're hardening the engineering that's going to make the, you know, make the boat more competitive. So, what are the plans over the next the course of the next uh, uh, couple of years?
4: Um, yeah, so the, the cat's out of the bag. It is here in 2018. So um, that that's really great for us. And um, I sort of complained about the two year cycle earlier, but um, it's kind of nice in a different perspective because. It allows us to actually take this year now, this next upcoming year, 2017, to, I mean, focus on research. We are fundamentally a research lab, so, you know, we need to be publishing. We need to bring in money. Uh, But also, we're allowed to sort of start developing new technologies. I mean, that's intrinsic in doing research. And hopefully, when 2018 rolls around, um, we've gained really all of the core competencies necessary to really do these core functionalities. And then we just take these technologies that we've been developing, stacking on top, and there's our platform mm-hmm. so you know if you're starting from scratch, which is the perspective we're from in this you know as a rookie team it it is really overwhelming but um given given that we have this now two year lead going up into twenty eighteen, our big focus really is going to be on the research side is what technologies can we develop. What um, new techniques can we do and what, what is really state-of-the-art? What's cutting edge? And then how can we advance that and then apply that in the 2018 competition?
0: Now, are you, are there opportunities for you to actually test any of the, let's say, the findings that you, you know, that come out of the research and actually get on the water and actually try to uh, see if it actually works from an engineering standpoint um, before 2018?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we don't know what the competition is going to be. Presumably, it's going to be fairly similar. Um, Back in 2014, there were four tasks. In this 2016 one, Uh, last month there were seven. So, following that pattern, maybe there'll be ten in 2018. But uh, of the seven final tasks that happened in December, the top teams were able to pull off three or three or four. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know uh, that that's about what state of the art is. That's that's about where the best is right now. So if they go stacking on more tasks, maybe they will. Um, so we have some idea of what to expect. We have some idea of what constitutes, you know, the tasks are very specifically developed and targeted towards, um, developing, again, core competencies. So,
0: well, I guess, um, I, I do definitely want to keep track of all the things that you guys are doing. Uh, what's the, what's a good website to, to follow up on, on the progress of, uh, your sort of robotics, uh, maritime competition boat?
4: Yeah, so we have a research website. Um it's it's uh, rip, R-I-P dot dot Hawaii dot edu. Um we have a lot of stuff on there um inclu- it it encompasses all of our research There's our generic research lab, but in there you can find pretty quickly where our robotics stuff is.
0: Very good. Song Choi of course is the assistant dean of the College of Engineering and Brennan Yamamoto is the PhD student working over at the RIP lab. And of course, Cindy Matsuki from HtDC. Uh, Thank you for all being our guests here on Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you and much thanks for, for
1: Thanks super fun.
0: And, of course, we want to thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we talk about tech and the 27 legislative session. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. Of course, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks.org. Our engineer is David Chong and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozovich. As you may have heard, Hawaii Public Radio is preparing to unveil some great new changes on Valentine's Day. February 14th, HPR will be able to deliver more of what you love. For starters, Bite Marks Cafe will be joining its fellow news and talk shows on HPR 1. Stay tuned for more details and of course, I'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.